listeners, and welcome to Top Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are the Geek Show's podcast dedicated to the good, the bad, and the preposterous of movies, either starring about or by pop stars. I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a film critic for the Geek Show and Horrified.com, the British horror website. I also make films and write the in-label clips for certain second-run DVD and Blu-ray releases. I've been joined this week by... Hello, I'm Mark Harrison. Um, I'm a writer and occasional quizmaster for Film Stories magazine and Vodzilla.co. Now, Mark and I saw in 2021 by reviewing an insane Leos Carax movie on this very show, and we're seeing the year out by doing the exact same thing, only sparks a year. The veteran art pop duo wrote the script and composed the soundtrack to Carax's latest movie, a lavish musical about Henry McHenry, a belligerent stand-up comedian played by Adam Driver, whose beauty and the bastard romance with Marion Cotillard's opera singer ends in tragedy, then restarts in weirdness, then ends in a bigger tragedy. It's Annette, it's quite the ride, and we watched this at the cinema, didn't we? Yeah, it was it was it was really good to catch it on the big screen. Frankly, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was sort of it was. I think I'm, I'm sort of um, losing track of when it was. I think it was a big release week, wasn't it? It was sort of like it was, we um, we were good, lucky to see it locally without having to have, make a forty mile round trip. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I was going to say it was a packed out screen as well, wasn't it? It was obviously highly <laughs> in demand. Oh wait, no, it wasn't. It was just us, <laughs> pretty much. It did prove that the audience in Teakside for Sparks musical from the director Paul E. Mortis consisted of um, us, <laughs> really, didn't it? Well, it's a recurring thing with Adam Driver's um, films this year, apparently, is that millennials don't want to go and see films. <laughs> they only want to get stuff delivered to them on their phones, apparently. <laughs> That's definitely it with The Last Jewel, isn't it? It's definitely not the case that the audience for a film about women's mistreatment throughout history were not happy sitting through two and a half hours of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. That's true. That's fair enough. Um, I, I mean, the marketing was terrible, but truly, if you only want to see one film this year about Adam Driver being a horrible, <laughs> abusive bastard... Annette is <laughs> it absolutely is yes um so I I don't know uh we could do a plot synopsis for this because unlike holy motors it is reasonably linear yeah that's the thing that's the big thing that jumps out to me in difference to like I went back and had another watch of holy motors the other night and yeah it is it's his first English language film as well. It's his, um, it's a film mm. first for the um, for the director for for Sparks getting their first musical on screen and stuff. But then it is by I mean by the standards of Holy Motors, but then anything looks sort of like kind of linear <laughs> and um, a bit more mainstream by comparison. Yeah, mainstream is not the word. But linear would be that be right. <laughs> Yeah, it's fair enough. I've been tracking this thing throughout its long development process. It always had driver attached. There was a time when this was going to co-star Rumi Mara and Rihanna. Right. <laughs> oh, uh, was yeah. they were both of them rather than in the lead. Oh, both of them. Yeah, both of them were going to be in it. The, the fifth, oh, right. The, Female oh, lead, cool. the role played by Cossiar yeah. went through Rooney Mara and Michelle Williams's hands. 
but there was apparently a time when the Hyperball performance was going to be Baby Annette featuring Rihanna. Oh, right, I see. Yeah, fair enough. If it was going to be the singing voice or something, that would have been wild. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I did hear about the Michelle Williams thing. Oh, it's, it's been sort of delayed a couple of times, hasn't it? At least, not least, obviously, by, you know, the state of things just throughout the world. <laughs> the whole thing, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the films that was going to premiere at the 2020 Cannes Film Festival. And I, I think mm. they... So with some of the films from the 2020 Cannes Film Festival, they just gave them the laurels and allowed them to premiere elsewhere. Like most obviously with uh, Steve McQueen's Mangrove, which couldn't wait for the 2021 festival because it had to be on BBC One at some point. Um, but I think this yeah. one did end up at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival. It did have that premiere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just been a long time coming. I mean, the other thing I've, I've ended up watching in preparation for this uh, podcast, because it's, it's said it would be a big, big year for Sparks movies. I went and watched um, Edgar Wright's documentary, The Sparks Brothers. Yeah. Uh, did you end up catching up with Sparks Brothers? Uh, I don't. I have it penciled in for the Christmas holidays, but I haven't caught it yet. Yeah. It's 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 good. It's a good treat, I would say. It's a good treat for the Christmas holidays. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. But in that, just as background to this, they've talked about a couple of times where they almost got musicals off the ground, like they were going to get to make a film with Jacques Tati at one point. Yes. And then, yeah. like m much later on, um, Tim Burton at that stage in the nineties, where Tim Burton was attached to a lot of projects that like that Superman lives film <laughs> just didn't mm. end up happening um but they were going to make a musical with Tim Burton called My the Psychic Girl they get into that in the film as well and the you know the disappointments and the, the letdowns of having put the work in and the film's not getting made so it's it's it in retrospect makes a net even more of a joy really <laughs> absolutely yes yeah um because there, there's like you, when you know Sparks' history on the big screen, you can see traces of the other things that they've done throughout it. You know, they released a radio play called The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman, which was a sort of comic fantasy yeah. about Ingmar Bergman going to Hollywood and being tempted to sell out. And I think that mm -hmm. theme of artistic purity versus the marketplace is all over this film as well. Yeah, it's um, I mean, in the in the contrast, you you mentioned one of my favorite bits, and is the line just "Beauty and the Bastard" and like the spoof um, <laughs> showbiz new segments they've got there. You know, it's like um, you know, I've seen reviews compare this to like a Star Is Born, and I sort of see that on the surface level of in that it's about a couple, and one of them's declining, and one of them's on the rise. The difference is one of them's declining because he's a fucking bastard. It's just. He's, <laughs> he's, it's, and, and you know what? It's one of the most perfectly drawn, um, you know, aspects I think of this film that is that Adam Driver is instantly recognisable <laughs> as this, you know, self-loathing and loathsome, but you know, more loathsome guy. You can just imagine having a Netflix special called Cancelled. Like this is a title next to his small <laughs> fucking non-plus shruggy face. You know, he, he he says at some point in this that like he does he does comedy because it's the only way you can tell the truth without getting killed. And yeah, what a prick. Like, what a line. It just tells you everything about <laughs> yeah. I would, yeah. I would say, having seen The Last Duel, this, it, like, that film turns this aspect of him to good use as well, but he's just as ridiculous. <laughs> he's, he's, very, he's very watchable, playing unlikable. 
<laughs> I am a member of the Facebook group Society for the Toleration of Nathan Rabin uh, about the titular critic. <laughs> and there was a post in there that said, oh man, it's, it's a great idea to cast Adam Driver as stand-up comedian because that guy just looks like he's going to crack you up any second. At which point someone <laughs> did correctly point out that Kylo Ren has, and I quote, big 20-something male comedian on a podcast about cancel culture energy. Yeah, it's the thing that a lot of the um, 20-something males who didn't like those Star Wars sequels don't seem to get about those things. <laughs> Is that the bad guys are, are neo-Nazi cosplayers of the, the villains from the original. Yeah, the original films, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, but yeah, so this film immediately sets up this contrast of this. Um, I'm trying to think of any of the things John Oliver says about him, about him physically. <laughs> a rudely large man, let's say. He's a rudely large man who's going out with this saint of a woman who, in contrast, you know, while he, say, he, while he says it's the only way to tell the truth without getting killed, you know, uh, Marion Cotillard is this opera singer who is um, every night as he puts it, you know, always dying and bowing and dying and bowing. Mm. And it's this immediate setup of complete artifice and pretension versus, you know, beauty. <laughs> yes. I mean, Beauty and the Bastard. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a long walk for the short thing of Beauty and there's, the Bastard. But there's, 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 another, there's another contrast they set up where, which is that, as you say, Cotillard's character dies and dies and dies every night, whereas Driver's mm. character kills and kills and kills. Yeah. Which becomes a bit... Um, yeah, he does. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> they sure do. <laughs> <laughs> he reminded me a bit of... There's a very early Adam Buxton podcast where he does a parody of one of those kind of WTF with Mark Maron-style American podcasts at the end. <laughs> uh, and it's the yeah. the American stand-up guy, man, guy, man, who had one experience <laughs> where he thought he'd killed it at a concert, but in fact he'd crushed it instead. <laughs> Yeah, very much. I mean, that's yeah. the, the the show, the the ape of God show that gets put on, and people just laughing in his utter contempt for people. Yeah. You know, it's 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 there in the in the show to start with. You know, is that self loving people, you know, will not accept love. So that obviously transfers over to the um the relationship as well. But the the glowering contempt for his audience just it rings true. And it's like, how are there so many people who like this shit? Like in real life, <laughs> is my question. Well, there's there's a kind of inverted commas thing into it, isn't there? Isn't in that you never feel sure that you were seeing Henry's actual stand-up so much as you are seeing a semi-musical number about being a stand-up comedian. So it nimbly gets past yeah. that problem where you're writing a character who's a stand-up comedian and you realise you have to write actual funny material for them. But in this one, you kind of don't. Yeah, that's true. It does, um, you know, as, as cinematic as it is, it, it is playing with those. It like it does that thing that some screen musicals do of like playing up the theatricality and the artifice, like the sort of mm. like well, you know, it starts with a leading you right under the proscenium, doesn't it? With the you know the opening number being an out of character, similar to Holy Motors, like sort of leading you into the film. Yes, we should talk about that because that's a great, great sequence. It begins by telling you not to breathe or fart for the duration of this <laughs> yeah. hundred and forty minute film, which is. Um, <laughs> Tall order, but I managed it. Yeah. 
<laughs> breathing will not be tolerated. So take yes. a deep last breath right now, please. <laughs> and I, I was like satisfied straight away by that because before the opening credits have even come up, you know, you've seen something that only Leos Carax would do. Yeah, it's a, it's a stunning like open up in a way. It's yeah. You know, like I don't have like a massive amount of familiarity with Sparks. Like certainly the the document um, the Sparks Brothers documentary is the most comprehensive because it is literally a blow by blow, step by step rundown of their the history. But the songs I know I like, and it's 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 as soon as you jump into So May We Start, which is the the first song, and it's got that sort of like the, the you know the repeat phrase. It does the same throughout the the rest of the the songbook for the film as well. But it's such a you know, as people have said, like a lot of people saw this like in press screenings or whatever, the like, first time after cinemas reopened and again this year, and it's just a, like, oh, cinema is back. You know, it's, yeah, it's that kind of incredible open up into it. But yeah, you get you get that's the first of a couple of um, cameos by Ron and Russell Mill in that first scene, and you also get Carax and of course the actors like out of character, sort of like walking into it, putting on wigs and things, <laughs> kind yeah, of going it's... from a studio out into the world. It's kind of like a reverse curtain call, isn't it? You see everyone out of character sort of getting ready for things before you see them as the people they'll yeah. be playing. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's got several other fascinating elements. I mean, So Mainly Start was released ahead of, uh, ahead of the soundtrack's release, and it's up there with You Used to Laugh as one of the more sort of rock-driven songs in it it sounds like you would expect yeah. sparks too and i think one of the strengths of sparks in recent years when you look at albums like hippopotamus and a steady drip 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 is that they have mm. been comfortable returning to their own to their old sounds in a way that doesn't sound like an admission of defeat they genuinely sound yeah. like that old glam pop sounds is actually offering them significant inspiration at the moment yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just covered in the thing as well. It's that it's been over. It's coming up on over fifty years now, isn't it? Of them just reinventing themselves up until that kind of like the sort of resurgence they've had in recent years. Like they did the super. I, I forgot. I saw this when it happened. Um, like when it actually happened a few years ago, and then forgot that it happened completely until it, was, it came up in the film. Um, in the Sparks Brothers, but the Franz Ferdinand supergroup thing was sort of weird. Yes, <laughs> kind of separate, which you know. Yeah, they sort of mentioned in that that like um, you know, the first song they sent to Franz Ferdinand was collaborations don't work. Like just, <laughs> so it's 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 sort of like right, it has to be pushing football. I know, I know what you mean, yeah, it's it's got that. It's sort of coming back around to it. Yeah. Um certainly like in, in this it's like a big mix of, you know, throughout the songbook, the different songs. There's you know, there's um is that is it my baby's taking me home? Is the song that's just that lyric? <laughs> that's, okay, is it my baby's taking me home? Yes, yeah, but there's a lot of that kind of like sort of um, the the way the lyrics go in this. You know the um, the there's the, there's the song in this where we love each yeah 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 like so still so maybe start has it a bit but then has verse as well but like we love each other so much as a refrain in that song yeah it's just again again that contrast between them two like as performers and as people where they're coming from it's like it's ironic and not because she means it <laughs> it's not really clear from his I'm not, I'm not sure he's sincere in anything really that character 
It's interesting that, isn't it? Because I think the reaction we both had when uh, we first saw this was not just that it was more linear than we expected, but that it was far, far more sincere. Yeah, I mean, it's a tonal, like, tightrope, really, in this, because I think a slip in either direction just makes this, like, Lemony Snicket. It's like, you know, it's about a dastardly performer turning a, a crime and exploitation to try and build a star off of children, and we'll get to that aspect of the plot, because I realise I've, I've jumped around it a little bit. But yeah, that's what that's truly what works about it, is that it could be... It is funny, and it has its funny bits, but the sincerity is what swings it, is what really makes it special. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I saw this the second time at the Ark in Stockton, and yeah. when we left the cinema... I remember the the usher, the person who like led us in and took our tickets, was literally in tears at the end of it. Which I no. thought, I mean, that's that's when you know a film works, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was that's the main thing that came from it for me is I was unexpectedly moved by it. Mm, like as yeah. much as I, I sort of like went in with kind of, I hadn't really watched any trailers. I knew the basics. I knew there was Adam Driver. I knew there was Sparks. I knew there was, um, it was Leos Carracks and stuff. So it's kind of like expectations are right in the middle, really, and just didn't expect as it was going along to be as moved by the end and other parts of it as I was. The um, just in terms of the, um, the plot, because we've not, I know we said we could do a plot synopsis. We're doing an oddly non-linear review of this more than Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were more linear with Holly Moores. We're doing the <laughs> traditionally Carax version of this, I think. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, now I'm dressed as a goblin, and let's talk about. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about. Um, so the um, the couple who who are kind of like all this Beauty and the Bastard type stuff. They're in the spotlight of showbiz news segments that keep popping up throughout the film, and um, soon enough they have a kid. They have um, Annette, yeah, who is portrayed in the film by um, a marionette, which, which is, is a, I mean, a great I... pun, by the way. Marion Cotillard gives birth to Annette, who is a marionette. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On top of that, her name's Anne as well. But yeah, marionette. God, mm. I didn't, I didn't clock that till now. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's so with. So when we were talking about you know the the um the sincerity of it like that's an important thing we're burying the lead a little to say that one the title character is played by a marionette and that it's still as sincere and moving as um you know <coughs> the fact that you have that it's it's as if like like my read of it is that the the daughter is as artificial as him and as and as beautiful as her really mm, yeah and the the trailer kind of buries this a bit which I thought was strange because I mean I was excited enough for it when I heard it was Sparks musical from the director of Holden Water starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. But if you told me there'd be puppetry yeah. in it, I'd be even more excited than that. <laughs> it's just, it asks for the, the Muppet version of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the reverse. But if you, you know, if, if you, isn't it? Yeah, but if you do it now, you have to. Yeah, you. Have, yeah, it is a reverse puppet movie. If they adapted it now, they'd have to do it the other way around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael Caine is baby and ass. No, um, <laughs> but, have, but yeah, you have this couple in their terrible um, sort of um, graceful, sadistic back and forths. Really, that really just starts to sour when when the kid arrives and when the whole star is born into play starts to come up that he starts to decline because he's a shit and she starts to go up because she's great. Uh, yes. And on the offside of this, you've got um, you've got Simon Helberg as the accompanist who kind of looks on 
Hmm. jealously at their relationship it has a really interesting role throughout I thought he was amazing in this like I've never been a huge fan of Simon Helberg but uh, how about you we well, we had a bit of a debate about Simon Helberg afterwards because I, I have yeah. to admit my only familiarity with the Big Bang Theory is occasionally like walking through the living room when my dad's watching this but uh, every time he's popped up in hmm. a film I've always been struck by the almost kind of Gene Wilderish comic gracefulness he has. I mean, <laughs> his his pratfalls in Florence Foster Jenkins of like yeah. ballet—they're incredible. I think he, whatever you think of his big successful sitcom role, he is a really remarkable comic performer, in my opinion. Yeah, he was. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm calling against him not because of the the Big Bang Theory, but because I saw this yeah. this dreadful film that he directed called "We'll Never Have Paris," which is this utter rank. I mean, the Adam Driver character in this would love it or make it possibly. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but he made he made this dread like really really terrible film. And then yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten he was in Florence Foster Jenkins, and I thought he was a revelation in this. I thought he was really good. There's this running thing where it's. Um, you know, he starts as an accompanist, so he's on the piano singing about what he's going to do, and then later on it sort of comes back to him mm. as a conductor, and the, the the way Carrick shoots it, there's a sort of, like, there's a revolving, like, panning shot around him as he's doing the thing, and as it goes to go behind him, he's like, excuse me one second, and he just conducts, <laughs> it's like, it's almost like spoken word with... Yeah, and it's and it ramps up with his performance as well. It's like one of the scenes of the year to me, it's like one of the things that stuck with me Ever since I saw it, I haven't really stopped thinking about it. It's a brilliant yeah, one. Um, I think when I've seen people who disliked the film, and I have seen people who disliked the film because it's a Leos Carax film, it's going to be a loving mm. or hated thing, uh, they have gen generally singled out that one scene with Helberg as one of the high points for them, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I, I did like this, and there are, there are other great moments in it as well. So, oh, yeah. I mean, the 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 mid the midpoint of the film, which is kind of I, I kind of get why the trailers were burying the lead on this. But um, full spoilers, by the way, this is quite a recent film, listeners. So if you haven't guessed by this point, you do need to go watch the film. Uh, Breathing will not be tolerated, and also go watch the film. <laughs> but um, you know the, the midpoint, the storm sequence um, mm. that that ends with um, with Marion Cotillard uh, dying. Yes. It, yeah. It, it's. Yeah, it, it sort of pivots upon that point because then afterwards, um, the marionette, their their daughter is, like, sorry, Annette is basically then haunted or possessed of the voice of her dead mother, like, which where the full on fairy tale magical aspect comes in. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting development, and I mean, part of the, in fact, the entire reason why Annette is a puppet just comes from the sort of practicality of it that Carax mm. wasn't particularly interested in working with a child actor. And, you know, the, the character of Annette has to do all of these remarkable things, has to stand on stage and sing arias, has to be sat on by Adam Driver by accident, has to grow <laughs> visibly throughout the film. You can see yeah. why it seemed like a more pragmatic thing to make this ostensibly sort of bizarre decision. Yeah, like as a... I mean, it works completely as a thing you buy into, you know, as much as it's like, oh, that's a marionette on first sight. You know, it's like, yeah. 
it's yeah it, it it plays out wonderfully the um and you know by the end they've come around to a different thing about what that what that means it gives you like a different gives you a different reading of it i think but yeah it's um it, obviously other than the most literal version obviously is that once um her dad realizes that she has that voice that highly monetizable voice because he's a shit he goes and uh, <laughs> monetizes it he basically tries to launch her as a, as a singing star and that leads up to that extraordinary uh like performance at the the stand-in that they have for the super bowl which begins with and again yeah. this is another reason why i'm very glad they didn't use child actors for this which begins with baby annette being lowered onto an enormous platform by drone mm. which is a hilarious <laughs> image i think yeah, because it's a thing of like, yeah, because you buy that character, even though it's not played by an actual actor. So it's just like looking like, oh no, oh God, no. <laughs> but it has, um, this, I mean, it has its funny bits all the way through, but the sincerity is important, but it does have one of the funniest lines and line deliveries of the film in that bit. Where it's like, please be patient. Baby is, baby Annette is, after all, a baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This wild obviousness, <laughs> but it's it's so well, it's very well done. I think the show is like satire, as I say, yeah. all those new segments that pop up sporadically through the first half, and then just the the depths of the the second half. I mean, that is ingenious that the showbiz news segments where they have these little TMZ style clips of Henry and yeah. Anne, and it's done. It, it's it's fully sung. You know, this is the Greek chorus and it's a showbiz news website. Yeah. I think that's really clever and funny. Yeah, it's the best version of that sort of like idea since pop star never stop, never stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, it doesn't quite need Will Arnett drinking from bigger and bigger cups every time it comes back around. It's funny <laughs> enough. <on its own. laughs> yes, yeah. Um, so we should talk a bit about Sparks as a band. There are a few yeah. references in here other than the references to various film projects. I mean, I know My The Psychic Girl was going to be based off a manga. I haven't read that manga, but would it be fair to mm. assume that this story about a baby girl with extraordinary powers is a bit of an exorcism of that experience? Yeah, I mean, it, it could things could have been repurposed from that possibly. I think because it was, um, it wasn't that Carrick's came to the the Mill Brothers with this. Like this, that they came up with this script and sent it to him, having admired Holy Motors, and over a process of, as you say, many years, it ended up and it ended up coming around. He said, "I want to direct this." So hmm. I think that there's a push and pull between them in the film, but then the the sort of the sort of concept album songbook at the centre of it is what drives it all the same. Well, yeah, literally, because according to the Male Brothers, they when they started work on this, previously when they'd been involved with something like My The Psychic Girl or Confusion, the Jacques yeah. Tati project, they've been mm. brought on by a director to a script of an idea that already exists. And this was the first time yeah. they'd had to sit down and write a story from scratch. And by their own admission, they didn't really know how to write a script. So the first thing they sent Carax was just the soundtrack album. And they said, well, we, we don't yeah. know how clear this is to you, but this is basically the script. <laughs> 
Imagine joining those dots. <laughs> I re-listened to the album this morning. Yeah, it's. I mean, haven't seen the film yet, but it's 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 a it's a terrific. It works just as an album, I would say. I think so. I mean, yeah. it's maybe not. Yeah, I was going to say about the album, like if you just viewed it as an album, no film attached to it. I think a "Girl from the Middle of Nowhere" is the likely like single from it. I would say maybe that's a good call. Yeah, I like that song very much, and think it's it's staged very well in the film because it's so. Matter of fact, it's certainly the first time I've seen someone go to the toilet during a musical number. I'll put, I'll say that. <laughs> Just throw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Did I go to the toilet? No, no. Oh, sorry. I was, was going to say we said I'm the only one there. I was just... Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that there are a few. Uh, instances of singing in unusual circumstances. The one that, <laughs> that attracted most attention when it was at Cannes is the singing Cunnilingus scene, which is, I mean, it's yeah, brief. It's maybe I unique. Can, I can, it's brief. <laughs> I can see why it attracted a bit of attention. Yeah. It became a headline thing, certainly. As I said, I kept my head down and didn't find out much about this film, but it was certainly the headlines of. Adam Driver sings while performing oral sex in the net. It's like, well, I guess, I guess it's because it's a showbiz news story. I suppose you have to just throw that out there. The plot detail of this film. As a market yes. employee, it's better than anything the last jewel got. <laughs> John Oliver will have booked his ticket right away. <laughs> yes. Um... But yeah, there's, there's, as you say, there's a few Sparks cameos. They appear on screen in So, so Maybe Stars, which, as we've noted, is meant to be like a sort of reverse curtain call where you see the people involved in the film coming together before the story starts. Uh, so that's yeah. expected. But we get a bit more Ron and Russell, don't we, during the film? Should we say where yeah. or shall, do you think our listeners will enjoy spotting them? Yeah, I think it's the I mean, I recognised them more from having seen them at the beginning, and then when they popped up again later. I think yeah, let, let the listeners spot them if they haven't. Yeah, if you're gonna if you haven't seen it yet, or you, I mean, you should have seen it by now. But if you go and rewatch it, then uh, then yeah, go have a look because I think it's pertinent where they pop up as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. but it's um, yeah, but as I was saying, like the thing of like my my baby's taking me home style repetition and stuff like that. You know, we love each other so much, we love each other so much, we love each other so much, we love each other so much is mm. basically the entire lyric of the song called We Love Each Other So Much. <laughs> and it's a thing where, it, honestly, when it first happened, I was getting when it first, that song first starts, I wasn't really with it. And it's, it is a thing I think of Sparks as songs that do that, that do the repetition thing. It's like, it doesn't get better as it goes on. It's so, yeah. like, if not catchy, then in the, in the purpose of, you know, this, in the, in the framing of this like rock opera, setting it, it just sort of beats a tattoo on the inside of your skull and it works for like <laughs> the moods the mood that it's setting up for those two characters for that relationship it's so effective where mm. on the surface of it it is them sort of like singing a bit like, on his part a bit monotonously we love each other it's, he sings it does a lot sing, it does a lot with just that he Sorry. sings well but he sings like you would imagine adam driver would sing i think it, it's fair to say yeah 
Yeah, I think his last couple of roles have been trying to convince us he can do accent, and he just sort of sounds like this. No matter what he does, he sounds like this. <laughs> I am a French nobleman. I am a, a member of the Gucci family. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes. Outer space. <laughs> I mean, is it, we, we mock that uh, House of Gucci. It's a good voice. But... I'd, I'd stick with it. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but. Uh, it was pointed out, someone pointed out on Twitter that Adam Driver is the only person in House of Gucci who hasn't based his performance on Wario. <laughs> oh, that was like the first time I'd seen any trailer. So that was before we saw Annette and it was just <laughs> alarming. <laughs> it was coming. I mean, you were there, you know, and we, we, there was only us in this tournament. When Jared Leto first appeared, I just went, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> As I said to you, back anyway, not to go off. <laughs> I would go just, I would just love to be in Ridley Scott's head, where he thought, I know, I'll, I'll take an actor where there hasn't really been anything high profile against him, but there's a lot of disquieting rumors about him, and I'll put him in big chunky old man makeup that doesn't look at all convincing. <laughs> I can't imagine how this could go wrong. Again, yeah, calling Christopher Plummer. Maybe <laughs> um, yeah, um, so, so anyway, not to get off topic because I, I, I'm really spending the rest of this year concentrating really hard on not accidentally seeing House of Gucci at some point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, with this, I think the the songs. The songs are terrific. It's like it's got that thing at the at the top. It gives you one expectation, and I think it does go all over the shop in terms of the the style throughout. Mm. You know, it's always recognizably Sparks, but you know, it's it songs that work as both. The, I mean, like so many of their songs, both sad and funny. Yeah, yeah, I would say like and and always catchy. Yeah, I think for all it. it if I was to compare it to another Sparks album, it's at that sort of little Beethoven end of their repertoire where it is a bit further away from pop, a bit more repetitive and minimalist. But again, as mm. you say, they are maddeningly catchy songs. That's the one thing they can't suppress, even when they try and make like as extreme an art album as they possibly can. They still have a real gift yeah. for an infectious melody. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about them going back over to like you know past styles rather than constantly reinventing. Just the fact that it's the songbook for a, for a movie musical is, I think, the invention. And it's yeah. just a shame that like watching it, thinking like, I want eight more of these, like I want eight more original Sparks musicals, that'd be great. But they probably won't. They'll do something else brand new. Yeah, yeah. Instead, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think they have said that they have other ideas for films, so we'll say it, it could yet happen. Um, but yeah. if this is the only one, it, the wonder of it is that it feels like something that was worth waiting 45 years for, which is roughly how long it's been since that Jacques <laughs> Tati project was announced. Yeah. And in between, there's, um, they cover this... Um, you met, it just made me laugh that they mentioned um, you mentioned Adam Buxton earlier on. He's in the Sparks Brothers talking about Roller Coaster, and that he thought Sparks was just a band that was made up for the movie. They were in this disaster movie called Roller Coaster. 
<laughs> that was it. Like, so instead of they do like live performance in this, you know, which until you see the clips of the film, you think, how can you really do a whole disaster movie about one roller coaster? <laughs> like, does it yes. not? Is there not really only one thing it can do, which is go off the tracks? <laughs> 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 so, they've, so they've had this thing where like you know they thought that that would launch them like there's various points throughout the film and throughout their career because obviously it's a chat and whole thing but they they said they thought this would launch and this would be the thing that makes them commercially popular as well as you know without them having to change their own thing and they have stuck to their guns all the way through yeah and you know i think i mean maybe in their own history it's just a thing of we're going through another moment where it's like oh sparks sparks and maybe like the next thing they do won't be as popular but they'll be along again in a few years like i think whatever they do next whatever yeah and you know whatever they do in between will probably be great as well yeah it just might not connect (laughs) there is a credit at the end of it um i mean when we're talking about which styles they're revisiting there is a credit at the end of it which is something like lyrics by ron and russell mail and l carax or something like that and Mm. um yeah uh, i know that Carax helped them work on the script and get it into a sort of filmic format. But I would like to think that when the movie incorporates snippets of songs from propaganda and things like that, that's Carax. That is absolutely Leos Carax, Sparks fanboy, saying, oh, you've got to Mm. have a bit of rock, rock, rock in here. I can't make the movie if it's not going to have rock, rock, rock in in some form. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just put your foot down there. That's the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, like Henry and Dan, you know, in the film, you know, Sparks and characters are match bed somewhere, but it works out. You <laughs> know, it's like <laughs> the results of that collaboration, you're not going to forget in a hurry. <laughs> the collaboration does work contrary to their own song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and the other thing about Carax's work on it is when we reviewed Holy Mortis, we talked mm. a bit about his his sort of personal history and how that was present even in a film which seems completely fantastical like Holy Mortis. And that's there again. Yeah. The girl he's with at the start is his own daughter. And I think that theme yeah. of sort of fathers and daughters trying to navigate the art industry probably appealed to him because of that, really. Yeah, I was thinking about that, especially like with the framing of that last scene of what he has to say about fathers and daughters and hmm. especially where Annette ends up, I would say, like by the end of that. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, because it's, it's, yeah, I mean, in the same way as there's the, the scenes, there are scenes in all the mortars that are autobiographical. Yeah, it's it stands out. It's sort of, it's it, it just kind of makes you it kind of makes you sad, but that's, that is the desired effect. Yeah, it's it's all it's all extra context in there that really makes that. Yeah, I think in Holy Mortars it feels more subtextual because the story of it is so outrageous. Whereas in this, yeah. I mean, if you do know that's his daughter at start grade, if you don't, it's there for a second and it doesn't matter. And after that, the emotion of that is channeled into the story itself, which, as we've noted, is much, yeah. much more directly emotive than you might expect from either Carax or Sparks. Yeah. I mean, as I said, a, a tonal tightrope, because really either direction 
this could yeah. have been a yeah, worse film than it is. I think it is instantly the stuff that like cult classics are made of, which is what else would you want from a musical with songs by Sparks? Like it would have to be. Yeah. <laughs> it would have to be, it, you know, it, it would have to be somewhere down this line. It's as weird and wonderful as um, as you want it to be, I would think, I would say. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching the Sparks Brothers. Your description of it makes it sound a bit like... Um, I watched that film Six by Sondheim recently for fairly All obvious right. reasons. Um, yeah. And you could make a potentially fatal drinking game from taking a sip every time Sondheim says. And obviously, at the time, this was a massive flop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's an aspect of that because it is, as it is, blow by blow. It's every you know from their early life through album by album, more or less, like skips mm. over a couple of steps maybe, but like it's it's a full comprehensive sort of talking heads history. It's not the sort of thing I've made the joke on this podcast before, of like music documentaries having a, a Kickstarter to get that clip of Dave Grohl saying, <laughs> "What you have to understand is at the time nobody had ever heard anything like this." You know, it's 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 a lot of people, it's a lot of fans all involved in it. Like you said about you know, if Carex said, "Oh no, you have to put this one. I'm not making the film if we don't have this." You feel like right has sort of like it's it's two hour twenty minute film, but it's so enjoyable to watch them talk about it to watch fans talk about it that it it propels mm -hmm. along i think you're in for a treat when you get around to watching it it's really good absolutely yeah uh we mentioned that it was in competition at can uh certain aspects of it including it yeah certain aspects yeah. of it including i'm glad to say uh the song so may we start being pushed for oscar consideration but it has also got probably the the accolade it most deserves already hmm. which is that it is number one in john waters list of favorite films of 2021 <laughs> would you like That's to hear it. his There's comments no, higher on <laughs> no go no. for it yeah uh, the best movie of the year is an insane, over-the-top and thankfully self-indulgent Sparks Brothers musical about an angry macho performance artist, his opera diva girlfriend and their daughter who is somehow born a puppet. See it by yourself so no one you know can possibly ruin this nutcase masterpiece. Oh yes, it's really long. Says it all, really. Yeah, fair, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. On the Oscars thing, you know, as I said, like "Girl from the um, Girl from the Middle of Nowhere" would probably be a good performance thing, but you sort of want them. Uh, it would be wasted on them starting the four-hour-long televised ceremony <laughs> with "So May We Start." But um, in all honesty, it's not a Bond song. It's not from a Disney film, and it's not on the end credits of another nominee. So it's got no shout in the Oscar. I would, yeah. which I would love. Ron and Russell Mail to get up and have won an Oscar. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, we've got to do what we'll, what we've got to look forward to is the ignominy of um, Annette being nominated for best musical or comedy by the Golden Globes. <laughs> <laughs> no, they'll get it wrong. They'll, the best musical or comedy is yeah. traditionally full of things that are neither musicals nor comedies. This will be done. Yeah, for, it'll be like, that last drama. night in Soho. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, Chris. <laughs> I think the only other Oscar category that's open in Best Original Song is when there's like a documentary and the end credits have a song called something like We Need to Change Whatever It Is This Documentary <laughs> Is About. 
See, that's what Sp- that's how Sparks could win an Oscar. I <laughs> that would be amazing. We need to change open bracket, whatever this documentary is about, close bracket by Ron and Russell Mill. <laughs> I reckon <laughs> on, on the end of whichever documentary is out next year. Perfect. Yeah, that's how they do it. <laughs> if you're watching this, Alex Gibney, the balls in your course. <laughs> So, uh, any closing thoughts about either Annette or Sparks before we wrap up? Um, only that, I mean, I've, I'm going to get around to watch, re-watching Annette over Christmas. So you want to watch the Sparks Brothers over Christmas, I'm going to re-watch Annette. Um, I did watch Sparks Brothers with my partner who was unsure, even about an hour and a half into it. She was kind of like, is this is this a documentary though? Like, <laughs> are these are these real? Because it does, because it, it almost plays. It's it's like that sort of. Um, do you remember that Peter Jackson sort of like short documentary? That's like a Colin McKenzie who like invented color color cinema, yeah, um, sound cinema, silver. and is as revolutionary as he is completely made up. That's it. Yeah, forgotten yeah. silver. Yeah. So it it, it could as, as equally be that because the story is is as 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 wild and as interesting and as fun as all of their songs are really it is ex- experimental all the way along um there's loads of it for me to dive back into like there's loads of albums i feel like i might go through album by album in order and just get a better appreciation of it because as i said i would love to see more movie musicals by them but if this is it then it's it's a good it's a really great outing <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for us this week, that is it. If you enjoyed the show, you can donate to our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash The Geek Show, where you get my twice weekly reviews of classic Doctor Who. You get our other movie podcast, Director's Lottery, and you get a monthly bonus episode of this very show, which this month I am delighted to say is about the 29 musical thing, object, I don't know if you can describe it any more clearly Artifact. than that. It's about cats, basically. It's about cats. Oh, dear. Hal, oh, it's wow. about cats. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's most of the lyrics as well. It's about <laughs> cats, all right. Cats, not a dog. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vamoose before you try and rope me into that. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy, listeners. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs>